G'day and welcome to Occupied, your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. This week, I wanted to have a little look at mental well-being. It's something that's been floating around in my life, uh, theoretically, <laughs> for a, a few weeks now, and I decided it's time to have a little chinwag and a bit of a reflect about it. So I've been seeing a few things floating around. We had Mental Health Week and there's a lot of posts going around social media for OT Week as well. Uh, And one of them that caught my eye and I shared it myself uh, was one that said that one in five people are affected by mental illness, but five in five have mental health. And I think that's something that I don't think a lot of people actually put some thought into when they talk about mental health. Generally, they're talking about the clinical area that deals with uh, or working with people who have mental illness, whereas mental health is like physical health. Everyone has it. It's kind of a spectrum. Um, You know, you can improve your health, do certain things to make your health worse. Uh, It's not necessarily a, a specific clinical practice area, but it's something that we need to take into account for everyone. And this is why I think it's important that OTs get the head around this. Uh, I remember uh, the podcast I did with Eric Johnson, and one of the things he said was that there's no health without mental health. And while he was talking about working with soldiers in, in physical rehab and addressing their mental health issues, I do think I'm, I'm a strong advocate that there are uh, things that can affect your mental health outside of mental illness. Mental illness is kind of like the extreme end of the spectrum. But there's plenty of stuff on a day-to-day level that can have an impact on our mental health. Things like stress, anxiety, you know, feeling burnt out. Those of you who have listened to Burnt Out to Lit Up will be very aware of all the different aspects around uh, burnout in clinical practice and how prevalent it's becoming. But I think Having a little think about, I guess, the separation between mental health and mental illness uh, is what I kind of want to do today. So we, we are aware as therapists, um, all of our definitions of health, um, the WHO saying that it's more than an absence of illness and disease, etc. We have all of our different theories about what makes up holistic healthcare, And I think... It's, it's very similar for mental well-being. Essentially, it's exactly the same. It's just applying it to a different aspect. You could very literally use the same WHO definition uh, when looking at mental, mental well-being, and it's designed to do that. But I, I kind of picture it as two overlapping double-ended arrows, so kind of like, I don't know, a tug-of-war going four ways, I guess. And on one... Say the horizontal one, we've got that very medical model sort of binary negative view on health in that you've either got mental illness or got an absence of mental illness, which is, you know, that's a valid part of health. It is only a part. That's the the key thing. And then say on the vertical arrow, we've got flourishing or languishing. And I think that I I really like those words. I can't remember where I saw them, but I I really like them in that you can have an absence 
of any sort of mental illness and still not have great mental health if the lifestyle choices and the things that you are engaging in are causing you to languish. You're not living to your full potential. You're not giving your mind and your body what it actually needs to flourish. And I think that's the important bit that I want to get across. The, the benefits that we see from looking after our mental health aren't necessarily, well, they don't necessarily have anything to do with mental illness at all. You can have a mental illness and have pretty good mental health. If you're managing yourself and looking after yourself and you're happy and productive, you can have a mental illness and have good mental health. Let that sink in. Likewise, like I said earlier, you can have an absence of mental illness and have not very good mental health. Some of the benefits that we see of uh, someone that's flourishing, so in that flourishing state, so they're doing a lot of things that, um, you know, I guess are benefiting their mental health. People, those people live longer. They're generally healthier, physically as well. They use less health services. They don't need them as much. This is for you guys in corporate wellness. They take less days off. They're more productive when they are at work. Cognitively, they're clearer. They're able to focus. They've got better attention. They're able to learn better. So they're more productive. Because of that, generally they end up in, in higher income jobs. And they're more likely to be in long-term relationships. I'll, I'll put the link to the, the study that that came, up, came from in the show notes. But it's, it's interesting. In order to, I guess, look at a lot of this kind of stuff, there's a ton of different models that people use looking at mental well-being. Uh, I did an exercise with my, my students this semester around looking at mental health in a well population. So I wanted them to spe- specifically essentially take mental illness out of the picture and we just wanted to look at individuals' mental health. Now, when we're looking at promoting mental well-being, a lot of the models, the thing that they have in common is they kind of break it down into two different aspects. And they're looking at risk factors and they're looking at protective factors. So, like I said, there's a ton of different models out there. Some of them are really complex, some of them are really basic. Um, But what they're predominantly looking at is Risk factors versus protective factors. It's almost like a balancing act um, where if you've got more risk factors, good chance that your mental health is going to be suffering, for lack of a better term. If you've got more protective factors or better protective factors, uh, you're going to be more at that flourishing end of the, the, the spectrum. And these, these models too are usually, I think in all of the ones that I've seen, able to be applied for an individual, they're able to be applied to a community organization 
or they're able to be applied to like a, a larger populace, sort of at a structural and a policy level. So I know in Townsville, where I live, they've started a, I think, I can't remember what they called it. It's like a mentally well Townsville program. So they're looking at improving mental well-being on that populist level and they're implementing strategies from that uh, institutional contextual level to help improve essentially the whole city's mental well-being, which is, is an amazing step forward. Uh, and if you have any examples of that uh, in your own where, where, where you live, I, I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to you know, post a link, post a story, post a news article uh, in, this, uh, in the Facebook comments uh, and, and share that stuff because I think, I think it's amazing. And I do think that that's potentially the, a really good avenue for OTs to actually get into is that mental well-being on a populist level. But I digress. So, like I said, there's a ton of different models that look at all different things. Um, they generally break mental well-being down into you know five, six, eight components. A lot of the components are fairly similar. Um, you know, mental well-beings. There's, there's no sort of real outliers I haven't seen in any of the models. They do kind of relate a little bit to OT models on how they break things down. But if we look at the models as a whole, in general, OTs fit really well with this kind of stuff because a lot of mental well-being is about engagement. It's uh, Depending on the model, it's just what they are recommending that the person engages in or how they categorize those different engagements. So there's one that I found uh, that I ran through with my students called the Wheel of Wellbeing. I think it's like wheelofwellbeing.org if you wanted to check it out. And there's a couple of reasons I like this one. One, it's bright and colorful and that appeals to my childish side. It, I believe, was developed in the UK and it's kind of spread out across the world. I know there's one district in, in Queensland, the state where I live, that is currently running the training for it. But there's, there's places all over the world, it's all on their website, like where you can go and do the training for this, this model. But one of the reasons I really like this model is it's taken almost a global kind of geocaching kind of approach in that it's got these different aspects, and I'll go through them in a second, but you can go onto their website and look up your local area where people have logs that other people from this wheel of well-being, I guess, community have logged different activities that you can engage in to target the different aspects of the model. So, for example, one of the, the, the first or the, the top of the wheel is uh, about body, which is about being active. So, you know, you can all imagine what sort of things, activities that people engage in to be active. But if you happen to run through this wheel and you're having a look at it all and you go, you know what, I don't have enough sort of active activities in my life, you can log on to the website, check out your local area, and it can make suggestions of things that people have logged um, as active activities in your local area. 
it seems to be very, uh, in Australia anyway, it's in the beginning stages. Uh, places like the UK seem to have a lot more things logged, probably because the community is a lot larger over there. But I think from a, uh, I guess, an ease of accessibility point of view, I think it's brilliant. Um, so we'll have a look. So the, the different aspects of this particular model is the body, obviously, being active. Uh, the next one around is the mind and that they, they focus on learning. So it's about, you know, doing something different, learning a foreign language, going to museums and galleries, that sort of stuff. Now I know some models might put that under something like, oh, culture. Uh, this particular one puts it under mind and looks at it as a learning activity. It classifies the next group as spirit and it looks at this from more of an altruistic Point of view, so it's looking at volunteering, donating, sponsoring a friend, giving blood, etc. It talks about people, uh, and it's very much looking at connection. So, organize a dinner party, catch up with friends, you know, go out for a drink after work, that kind of stuff. Join a community organization. It looks about place. Now, the interesting thing about the place one is, to me, having a look at how they describe it, it very much kind of fits with mindfulness. Because it's talking about uh, taking notice of your surroundings. So sit down, go outside and have your lunch break instead of sitting in your office and just take note of what's happening around you. Get up early, watch the sunrise, um, take public transport, have a walk around your local area, that kind of thing. It's about really taking notice of your surroundings, even talks about astronomy, about getting an app or a, or a telescope and having a look at the stars. So it's, it's an interesting take on the, the place aspect of the environment. Uh, and the last one is planet, and they're looking at care. So it's looking at looking after the, the environment, which I'm sure, again, we can all uh, work out what that's looking at, looking at recycling and Catching public transport or carpooling, trying to reduce your carbon footprint, etc. Like I said, it's a really simple model. It breaks things down into those six little areas and they're really easily accessible. There's no jargon. They're really basic recommendations. It gives you general recommendations on the website. And like I said, then you can search your local area to find... I guess, more targeted things in your specific location. But it's made, it's, it's made a difference, I think, in how I perceive well-being. Um, we all have periods that probably aren't necessarily diagnostically significant. We might have a down day, um, feeling a bit low, feeling a bit anxious, a bit stressed, a bit overworked. And to me, having an awareness, a self-awareness of the different components of any well-being model, you don't even need a specific model to look at this stuff for yourself, but having a, a, an awareness of the types of things that these models generally look at is a really good starting point for getting yourself through that, I guess, micro transition of, you know, going from being a, a really productive day to having a really off day and then trying to get through that so that you can get back to being productive. 
for uh, the other thing is it's about really being, like I said before, self-aware enough to kind of almost put together a bit of a plan for yourself. Uh, I did this a few years ago with a, a friend of mine, or she, uh, she helped me do it for myself, actually, uh, where we put together a bit of a plan for my mental well-being as a bit of an exercise. And it included things like going outside and sitting in the sun for 10 minutes a day. Uh, it included, what else was on there? <laughs> uh, it included making sure that I drank two liters of water a day. It included uh, journaling for 15 minutes a day. And I can't remember what else, but it was just little tiny things. And I think that's an important first step is don't try and change the world on your very first go. So it's not like, okay, I'm going to train for two hours at the gym and that's going to make me feel better. That's going to you know release all these endorphins and make me feel amazing. Because the key is you want to actually do these things. And if you're going from nothing to that, there's a high probability that it's not going to happen. You're going to stop, give up. Statistically, you're going to, you're not going to be able to complete that. You want to give your best chance, especially if you're looking at well-being. You want to have the best chance of actually, you know, improving your well-being. So you kind of want to set yourself up for success. Having a plan, so similar to that one that I developed, which was very much almost a, a proactive plan i like to look at things uh even with mental health mental illness sorry as the two different components as a proactive and a reactive so what can i do to kind of prevent any sort of i don't even know what you call it mental uh, languishing prevent any languishing we'll use the the model that we talked about at the start so what can i do to prevent any languishing so like i said for me it was going outside sitting in the sun for 10 minutes a day journaling 10 minutes a day, et cetera, et cetera. They're preventative measures. But you also want to have a list of reactive measures. So what happens if you don't happen to catch yourself that day and all of a sudden you're feeling really anxious or you know, you're feeling really low, that kind of thing? So what can you do? And it's quite often you, you might find that they're very similar things. So for me, especially going out and sitting, oh, that was the other thing, was meditation. <laughs> um, going out and sitting in the sun for me, whether was a good preventative measure, but it was also something that was really, really good if I didn't catch myself and I was feeling really stressed. I could go outside, even if I'd already done it that day as a preventative, I could use it as an acute measure as well. So I could go outside and sit in the sun for 10 minutes. Generally, while I was there, I would do uh, a mindfulness exercise, uh, which would involve taking note of my surroundings. What I was trying to do was essentially build up my attention span in a way. So I would set an alarm and it'd be like five minutes. I'm like, I'm not going to get distracted by my own thoughts. I'll acknowledge them, let them pass but I am really going to take note of wherever I was sitting. I would always try and sit somewhere that had trees and grass and hopefully in the shade because it gets quite warm here. But um, I would try and use that five minutes to take in as much information about the surroundings as I possibly could. And 
this particular mindfulness uh, exercise technique, I guess, that I sort of came up with for myself worked really well for me when I was stressed because when I get stressed, I tend to overthink and it's the racing thoughts that stop me from being productive. So being able to distract myself using a mindfulness exercise for even five, ten minutes. Well, I think I, I think I worked up to about ten minutes being able to do that over a period of time. A long period of time because it's actually a lot harder than you think. But being able to do that really benefited me when I needed it. So that wasn't something that I was, that particular exercise wasn't something that I was necessarily doing as a preventative. I used to meditate as a preventative and I would do this mindfulness exercise as a reactive. So I think it's important that we take note of that. It also is a really good exercise in putting that together, putting that little list for yourself together. It's a really good exercise in self-reflection. Get to know yourself, how you react to things, uh, how you respond to you know, different aspects of mental well-being. Do you need to be alone when you feel you know, stressed, depressed, etc.? Or do you need to seek out some connection? Is there a good friend that you can just say hi to? You don't necessarily have to go constantly talking about how depressed you are or anything like that, if that's the, the particular feeling. It might just be that saying good day, how's your day, what are you up to? Just having that connection with someone uh, might be the improvement. It could be your pet. It could be, you know, I know if I've had a really crappy day, I get home, my dog Rusty's here, he's currently under the desk, fast asleep right now. But I know that hugging him, cuddling with him, wrestling with him, throwing the ball makes me feel better. And I guarantee by the wagging of his tail that it probably makes him feel better as well. So it's, it's going to be a matter of experimentation, like a lot of things. But I think it's important to be self-aware of what you need from a preventative point of view and what you need from a, a reactive point of view. When something's gone wrong, what can you do to, to help it out? We use that same kind of format for mental illness as well. You know, people will put together their recovery plans. When you get unwell, what do you want people to help with? What sort of things do you know help? What sort of things don't help? What can people do to help you? Um, so it's nothing sort of rocket science or brand new. It's, it's just applying it to yourself and applying it from a well-being perspective because the ultimate goal is, you know, we want you to flourish. I'm sure you want to flourish as well. So... Just a bit of a reflection, stuff that's been floating around this big noggin of mine for a few weeks. Uh, hopefully that helps someone. If it does raise any questions, shoot me an email, comment on Facebook, track me down on Twitter. I'm fairly easy to find. Get in contact, let me know your thoughts. Uh, and thanks again, and I will talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.